I'm, I'm going to, where, where'd Yuri go? Oh, he's back here. Uh, I'm going to have to mention uh, Tatiana is here. That's Grandma from Russia. Every, everybody say greetings. And um, uh, Alexei and Brent, thank you. This is Yuri's brother and sister-in-law. He was a uh, youth pastor, associate pastor at uh, Boardman uh, Victory Campus for quite a while. And there, I stole your thunder. So I, I, just, I figured I would just, uh, just greet them myself. So. But, and so uh, Alexei is here to grade his brother's sermon. Uh, but don't listen to him. Listen to Grandma, because she's going to love it, right? So, no, no. Amen. Well, God bless you. I think that's all the announcements you have. I was going to announce that Pastor Steve will be back next Sunday, but he did it for me there. Hallelujah. And I believe uh, we are entering into the holiday season. So in your bulletin, you'll see we have some upcoming banquets and things like that will be happening. And for Christmas and New Year's Day, Christmas Day and New Year's Day, this is the time every how many years that it happens. Uh, we'll probably be doing something a little bit special, a little different on those days. Uh, we may have more or less like a fellowship type service. I believe Pastor Ron is going to be preaching on Christmas Sunday. And uh, so we may just do something a little different, some fellowship. And then New Year's Day, uh, for those of you who are not like my wife and I, who go to bed, it's still at 930 on New Year's Eve. New Year's Day is no different for us at all. It's the same thing. Uh, we'll be here, but if you happen to be one of those that stays up and watch the same ball do the same thing that it does every year, you might have a little struggle getting up on Sunday morning. But, Amen. Praise the Lord. Everybody, welcome Pastor Yuri as he shares. All right, how are you guys feeling this morning? Everybody feeling good? Anybody still full from Thanksgiving? Okay. Um, Before I hop in, uh, the title of today's message will be called Don't Sink in Circumstances. Don't Sink in Circumstances. But before I do, I want to go through a few thank yous. Thank you, uh, Pastor David and Deborah, for the... um, If you have, like, a good boss at your job, you love coming into work because you know it's going to be enjoyable. And that's what I love coming into church every single Sunday because like the people in charge are amazing. Like Pastor David, he's patient, he's funny, and most importantly, he gives high regard to the Holy Spirit. And it's all like, that makes me feel safe coming in. Like, I can be myself. You know, I can make jokes, you know, and stuff like that. So I am thankful. And, like, Deborah is, like, leading me and teaching me stuff about kids' church and things like that. Like, I'm blessed to be able to uh, learn from them. Of course, you know, the board as well. uh, They figure out all the finances. If I was in charge of the finances, we wouldn't have lights. We wouldn't have, like, utilities on. We'd be $30,000 in debt, but thankfully the board <laughs> has everything figured out, um, and they have great leadership. What I didn't realize is how much I was lacking. When we went through the COVID time, I thought I had like preconceived ideas where I thought I knew how church was supposed to operate, how things were going to go, and the board had a different thing, and I was all like, wow, I need to lay down the law here and teach them a few things, right? Which I would never do because I'm too scared, but... <laughs> But the fact is, everything that they said and the decisions that they've made, looking back on, anything I disagreed with, I realized that they were right. And I'm all like, these guys have so much wisdom, so much clarity, so much insight. And I need to, whatever these guys have, I need to get. Like, I need to, like, I need whatever that they have. Because I was like, they knew what to do. And I was thankful to be in a church where they did the right thing. And of course, you know, like all the blood and bones of the church, like who do all the work that, like I said, like the lights wouldn't be on, the utilities wouldn't be happening if people weren't here during the week doing stuff. Like Lisa, Jim, the elders, the cleaners and stuff, they do so much for us just to be able to walk in into God's house every uh, morning and, uh, and uh, every Sunday morning. And I'm thankful for that. Um, like, and one of the, and then Tanya did an amazing job. One more round of a hand for Tanya for what she, uh, for her worship today. Because, you know, she didn't always sing like that. Before she was saved, she went through a lot. Um, and she, she liked music, but she didn't have, like, that, that, that anointing. And she said when she, when she became saved, when she gave her life to God, immediately it was like something just turned on inside of her, where she began writing music. She began the worship leader, become the worship leader of our youth group and things like that. It's like God just worked through her and anoints her musically, 
after she gave her life to him. So there's a real big anointing on it. Same way with, like, Pastor Steve. Anytime I have a question, like, that's in the back of my mind where it's all like, God, I need an answer. Like, Pastor Steve says it during his exhorts while he's doing worship. And it's like, I don't understand it. He just has an anointing to do that. Where it's all like, if I have a question, he answers it. And I'm like, I don't know if this guy is telepathic or something like that. Might come in with, like, a helmet or something because he's reading, you know, what's going on in here. And every time, like... I've had a question, and I needed some kind of comfort. Pastor Steve said what I needed to during worship. Tanya has the same anointing where she just sings, and, like, God's presence just fills it. And Alex, one of the biggest honors that God has given me is being Alexei's younger brother. Anywhere I go, like, where Alexei's been, I'm, like, adored. Uh, high school, any church that he's been, they're like, oh, you're Alexei's brother. They don't know my name. They don't know anything about me, but they love me. One of the biggest honors in my life is being his younger brother. Um, and I've gotten to follow in his footsteps, going to ministry school, preaching, things like that, because he set that up, and he took those first few steps, so I wasn't scared to. So that's one of the biggest honors that I have. And, uh, and Miranda is an amazing mom and does the hard work of raising two kids, like, like Xander, who's crying right now, but he doesn't like my sermon, but that's okay. All right, so everybody, um, grab a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. The sermon today is called, Don't Sink in Circumstances. Going to give you a minute to get there. And one thing I learned in old school Presbyterian church is they'd always stand during the reading of God's word. So just for this section, let's all, one more time, just like worship, let's all rise to our feet as I read this. Um, And uh, Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Another uh, gospel says three or four miles, so that's a significant distance. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Like a boss. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down and out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over at the land of Genesaret, Uh, When the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him uh, and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Let me pray real quick, and then you may be seated. Jesus, thank you for giving us faith. Uh, I pray that just like Tanya's uh, anointing to worship was unlocked when she got saved, I pray that today there would be an, uh, an unlocking of an anointing of faith of everybody listening to this message today. God, help us to grow in the faith that you've given us, and thank you um, for the examples that we're going through in the Bible, and thank you for being our God and for giving us salvation and giving us this amazing life to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. All right, let's hop into this. Don't sink in circumstances. Obviously talking about Peter, who began sinking when he started losing his faith in Jesus at the time of when things around him were being a little bit chaotic, which we know the feeling of the past few years, even now when things aren't going our way. On the inside, doubt can rise up, and uncertainty and anxiety can just build up on the inside of us that makes us lose faith in Jesus, and we begin to sink. So when it comes, what does Jesus say that the antidote to that is? To have faith. So I remember when I was in ministry school, uh, during, I think, Christmas time or something like that, they gave gifts to each of us. 
And everybody had some really cool gifts. I don't know, girls had jewelry or things like that. It was given from the teachers, and they had a spiritual, symbolic representation to each person. And uh, I, was, I was given a rock, and I was like, that's not fair. Everybody has some cool things going on, and, and, and I have a rock. Granted, it does have a Bible verse on the other side. But I, on the inside, I was low-key a little bit offended because I'm all like, everybody has something cool, and I have a rock. But what was said when I was given this rock was very significant to me. Because I was struggling with the idea of faith. And I said, God, I believe in you. But when I read this book, I see things happen that are so powerful, so miraculous. That, that with your touch, obviously, on it, that I'm not seeing and I know that the gift is one of the spiritual gifts. Like the gift of faith is one of the spiritual gifts. And I'm all like, maybe I just don't have that gift. So I'm all like, I need to find somebody who has that gift so I can pull on it whenever I need to. Because I'm all like, I just don't have it. I'm not seeing the same things like Catherine Coleman and all these big you know, people in the faith. I'm all like, I don't have it. I need to find somebody. And every time I need some faith, I'll pull it out of them, right? And it... it it's just the way that I think through things and themes, and I like chew on them as like a theme for a long time. And at this time, it was faith and how I didn't have it and how I wanted to see things happen, but I knew it's because I needed more faith and I didn't have it. When, he, when Pastor Ben gave me this, he said, as soon as I saw this, I thought of the faith that I've seen inside of you and the faith that you have. And what I realized in that moment is that God had given me faith. I just needed to start exercising it and pull out what he already put inside of me. So when I see this, it's a rock and it's kind of boring, but what I see is when, when somebody pulled out the faith that was inside of me that I didn't see in myself, who didn't know I was having those thoughts of thinking I didn't have faith. So to me, when I think of faith, this is the first thing that I think of. And I keep it on my desk at work. Um, but... If somebody really feels like they need something to remind them of faith, that's up for grabs at the end of service. If somebody's all like, I, I need something to remind me of faith, then that's up for grabs for whoever wants it. So what I want to uh, go over is a few people in the Bible who, just like Hebrews 11, talks about the hall of faith is what they call it. And he goes through different people who showed faith in their lives. Pastor David and I kind of got together and made a list of four different people who exude faith from their lives. And I want to go over each one and hitting a point of faith as we do it. Now, faith is different than optimism. The definition of optimism is hopefulness and confidence about the future or the successful outcome of something. So optimism is just hope. So the other day I was eating uh, somebody... I I work at this retirement center, so the, the old ladies always give me... Elderly ladies always give me candy, which is fantastic. I love it. Like, one woman literally has, like, eight bags of, I'm not, like, Kit Kat Snickers. Not just, like, those old hard candies. Like, decent, good candies. And every time I pass by her, she's like, do you want some candy? And I'm like, no, I don't know. And she's like, you have to. I was like, okay. So, <laughs> so I always end up with, like, candy. And it's like I fix something, you know, I screw in a light bulb or something, and they reward me with candy. It's like, well, okay. So <laughs> one time I had a little Dove chocolate thing and I open it up and on the inside of it it hold on I wrote down let me see if I can figure it out it said like be optimistic or something like that like like optimism is important something like that and I like wanted to like throw up a little bit on the inside because I'm like that's just so cheesy like just be optimistic like I understand if you're eating something like candy and you feel guilty you need a little hopeful message after but (laughs) but when I but I was all like because optimism isn't tangible. It's not, there's not something there that you can hold on to. It's good to be hoping for the best thing. But faith is different because it includes an aspect of something tangible that you can hold on to even if you can't see it. So, I th- uh, like Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is a confidence uh, in what we hope for in the insurance of things that we do not see. The definition of faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. I love that. Complete trust. It's like optimism on steroids. So when I think of that, I think of Joseph, honestly, because Joseph had 
truth. So my first point, and we're going to be talking about Joseph and how faith was shown in the life of Joseph, specifically through faith has fruit or aka works. There's something tangible, something you can hold on to. Now Joseph is an interesting character because, you know, he had his coat given to him by his father, which his brothers were jealous of, and they took away from him and threw him into uh, slavery. Then he worked his way up in the house of Potiphar, and eventually the girl took his coat and you know, accused him for things. And then later on, because he stayed faithful, the main guy in the whole country put a coat on him, and he said, you're in charge now. So there was something tangible that God will give us to show you through, to show us of our faith. So when I think of Joseph, if it was me and I was in jail or sold into slavery, I'd be like, well, that's it. Might as well make the best of it. You know, if I'm sitting in jail, like, all right, give me a TV, give me whatever, Xbox, if you're allowed that in jail, I don't know. I have three square meals, like, okay, I'm going to make the best of it. But Joseph worked, and he worked his way up, and he became a free worker for Potiphar's house and for the prison. And it's all like, what I think was going through Joseph's mind was he remembered the dream that God had given him, and he held on to it. He, he held on to it, and he showed his faith through his works, through the fruit of what he was doing. So when I, when I think of Joseph, it's like, I want to be like Joseph, where if God tells me to do something, I'm going to show him that I'm serious about it by how I act, the same way that Joseph did. Uh, and we can see that, Genesis 39 two, it said the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in whatever he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes. Joseph wasn't chilling. It says that he was doing things. I think he was holding on to that thing that God gave him. He had faith that that dream would come to pass. So he, he, did, he was faithful with what God had given him. Uh, Genesis 39.23 says, when he was in the prison, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. There it is again. He didn't just chill. He did things to show that he had faith. Genesis 41.40 says, um, when it came to him being second in command, it said, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are submit to your orders. Only respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So when I think about faith and how that... Now let's go back to the story of uh, Peter walking on the water. What I see Joseph did is he wasn't afraid to take that step and do something physical. Do the work to show that what God said was going to come to pass. The same way that Peter took that first step out... He did something to signify, something physical, some kind of action to show that he had the faith. And that's the first thing that I wanted to hit today, that faith has fruit. You have to do something physical. You have to do some actual action to show God that what he told you you are going to do, you're actually going to do. You can't show, you can't be like, well, if God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. No, nah, you've got to step out, and you've got to do that. And that's what it says in James 2, 17 to 18. In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And that's what Peter did. He stepped out in faith, and we have to be the same way. So the first point, faith has fruit. And what is that fruit? It's those actions. It's those works. It's something that you can point to. It's something tangible that you're doing to show God that you have it. The second person I want to talk to is actually two people, Joshua and Caleb. So as we know, as the Israelites were going to go into the promised land, they sent out two spies to see what the promised land was like. And that was Joshua and Caleb. Well, there were 12 people, but Joshua and Caleb stood out among those 12. Because when they came back, they said, yes, everything about it is amazing. They said, the soil is great. The food is great. The, you know, it, it's beautiful land. Like This is forest. It's filled with milk and honey. It's beautiful, but 10 of the 12 said, but there's nothing we can do about it. We don't have the faith to, uh, to, to take this land. So my second point with Joshua and Caleb is faith doesn't fear. And there's a lot of alliteration here. Numbers 14.8 says, If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. 
and do not be afraid of the people um, of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, and the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. As Christians, I kind of believe that we don't have a right to be afraid. Like, whatever is going on around us, we don't have the right to, to show anxiety, to show fear. Like, we've got to get rid of that. God expects us to not show fear. We respect God, we fear him, and that's it. No more. There were 12 spies, 10 of them, so uh, like over 90% didn't have that faith. They saw what was around them, and they gave up. They're like, we can't do it. But we don't have that right to give up. We don't have that right to look at the circumstances around us and be like, I can't handle this because God expects us to not have fear. He expects us to rise above that fear. And I think that applies to our marriages, to our marriage, to work, to the like, salvation of family members and things like that. We can't be afraid of what might happen. We have to push on and have faith that God's going to take care of it and that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. And like in Matthew chapter 6, when he says, why do you worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat? Um, he says, don't you know that your father, he sees those things and he's going to take care of those things. And that's just the truth. We have to have faith that God is going to take care of those things, and we can't be afraid about any, any of those things that Jesus says not to be afraid of. And uh, I think I, you see that in the life of, uh, uh, of Peter. Like he, when he did step out, I mean, he, he was walking on water. Like he didn't have that choice to be afraid on that first step. Now, as things started to change, he did become afraid, and Jesus rebuked him for it. So that means that we can't carry that fear with us as we're walking out to Jesus closer and closer. We can't bring fear with us. We're going to have to let it go because it will drag us down. The next one I want to talk about is a woman with an issue of blood. And you have to believe the next point is that faith defies physics. So again, I'm trying to stick with that alliteration. Faith defies physics. We have to believe in a supernatural God. I wish I didn't because it makes it way more difficult. When I read this book and the things that happen, it's all like, can we just pretend those things didn't happen? Because I have to have faith that those things happen to believe this book. And everything I see in life is through the lens of this book, through the book that God gave me. So when I read about a giant flood, it's all like in a boat and two of every animal is being put in. It's all like, God, do I really have to believe that? Or like, Jesus just going to hell, coming back to life, and then going up to heaven in a cloud. Like, do I really have to believe that, Jesus? Because that's kind of, like, impossible, you know? But the fact is that faith defies physics, and when we live with that attitude, God shows up. So the woman with the issue of blood, it says that she spent basically everything that she had. So she did everything physically right that she could have, you know? She went to the doctor, she got the medicine, she did everything right that she could have, And things still weren't working. So now she had to switch to the impossible option. Now she had to believe that God had to come through in an impossible way. Something that doesn't exist physically. It has to be done supernaturally. And faith includes that supernatural aspect of it. And in fact, when we don't have that faith for the impossible, Jesus doesn't like that. Uh, Because in Mark chapter 9, 23, there was a demon-possessed kid. And nobody could cast the devils out of this kid. Why? Because he didn't have enough faith. And um, uh, in, in one scenario, I don't know if it was this one or, the, or a different one, somebody came up to Jesus and said, hey, my son has this issue, and um, if you can, can you heal him? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if I can? He said, everything is possible for the one who believes. So we have to, we don't have an option, we have to, it pleases Jesus. It says that uh, without faith, it is impossible to please him. One of the ingredients to making Jesus happy is to have faith. And so that means we have to have faith for the impossible, for things that just seem like there's no way that this can change unless God does something supernaturally. Jesus expects us to have that faith that he will do it. And when we do, he shows up and he does it. Because what did she do? She said, if I just touch the fringe of his garment, you know, I will be healed. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, if I touch his shoelace, I'm going to be healed. Like, who comes up with these things? Like, if, but she had the faith, if she just does something, you know, symbolically, that God would change the laws of physics for her in that specific moment and heal her. And she had that issue for 12 years, and Jesus also calls her a daughter. So I assume she was probably, I assume, like, in her 20s or something. 
I assume the majority of her life has been trying to deal with this thing that she just can't deal with. And she had to believe that Jesus was going to do something impossible for her. And for Peter, it's pretty obvious. He, he, he believed that he was going to walk on water. That's something impossible. Took an aspect of supernatural. But when we have that aspect of faith to us, God sees it, he responds to it, and he rewards us for it. So, um, uh, because, and th- there's a verse that's talking about like supernatural things. You know, th- one day I was in prayer and I'm all like, what is the biggest thing that I can thank God for? That I, that I can actually see, not just like stars and planets and things like that, because I, I can kind of see them, but you know, they're kind of far away. I'm like, what is the biggest thing that I can look at and be like, God, that is awesome. Thank you for that. You are awesome for making that. And so what I thought of was like a mountain. When I was down in Guatemala, we, the first time I was down there, we took a bus ride, and the whole thing is just mountains. And one of them like had smoke on them, and I'm all like, oh, snap, this thing's going to blow up. So in my best Spanish, I'm all like, are we going to die? And her sister was accompanying me to go up to Caban, where Abby lives. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm all like, that mountain has smoke coming out of it. Like, are we about to blow up? Because, you know, I need to get ready, make myself right with Jesus if I'm about to die, you know? So, so like, I'm, like, I need to know if I'm going to die, you know? I have any sins in my life. I need to confess right now. Like, this is important. And she just, like, blows me off and says nothing. So I'm like, all right, if we die, we die. Like, whatever. And then I realized, like, Guatemala has the most uh, uh, volcanoes, like, per capita, essentially, uh, like, in, in one specific small area, like, in the world. So they have a lot of volcanoes, and they're used to things like that, but I wasn't. But when I see things like that, like, it's, it's like, God, you made that. That's beautiful. Like, when I see it, I stand in awe of it. Thank you, God, for it. What's the biggest non-physical thing? Like, the ocean. So what does Jesus say when it comes to faith? He says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the biggest thing in your life, physically, you can point to, he says, and you can toss into the ocean. And the ocean is like the biggest, scariest thing as well that's not physical, that's liquid. Um, Because I think of this guy in Charleston that we met, uh, we were doing a little like missions trip down there. And uh, he did a lot of drugs and drank a lot of alcohol. So he did these shrooms and did some kind of combination with alcohol. And he thought he was Jesus because he had long hair. Which is like, okay. So he said, while I'm high and while I'm drunk, I know I'm going to sober up. So I'm going to swim as far as I can out in the ocean. So that when I do sober up, I won't have the strength to swim back. Because like Jesus died, I have to die too. I mean, that's just like demonic stuff. So he, so he does it. He swims out in the middle of the ocean. He sobers up. And he's like, ooh, that was a mistake. <laughs> so he's like, I don't know which way I'm supposed to go. He's like, I have to pick a direction and start swimming. So he did. He randomly picked a direction and started swimming. Praying, like, God, you know, you get me out of this. You know, I'll give you my life. Like, okay, I'm sorry. I, I was stupid. I, I did a bunch of dumb things. Please just... Let me survive this. Let me, let me live through this. And he saw some, like, birds flying a certain direction. He believed that God was showing him, like, go this way. So he just kept following it. And sure enough, he eventually washes, washes up on a resort. He wasn't wearing any clothes. They had to, like, bring him in, take care of him, and uh, get his... But when he did, he completely turned his life around. And now he spends every day out there finding homeless people who are like him and sharing the word of God with them. And when they decide to give their life to Jesus, he's like, we're not waiting. He'll baptize them in fountains, anywhere that he can baptize them. He's like, you need to show God that you're serious, and he'll baptize them wherever they are. This dude is like, and I went to his house. He has a nice big house. He's got all these ideas. He has all of these things that he's doing. But he almost lost it all by swimming out into the ocean. And the reason why I say that, so the biggest thing physically, and like the most scariest thing, like the ocean, Jesus says both of them you're in charge of. You want to talk to the mountain and throw it into the sea, you do it. When Jesus comes back, is he going to look at all the mountains and be like, dang, these Christians didn't do their job? Like, does he care about how we, like, with the geology, what we're doing around us? No. It was in reference to, to the people around us and believing for faith that God can do something in the people around us. Because this was specifically in the issue of demon-possessed people. And they're like, why can't we cast these demons out? And that's when he said, because you guys don't have faith. So when Jesus is coming back, he's not going to say, why are all these mountains still here where I put them? He's going to say, 
what were the mountains in your life that you told to move and they moved because you had faith to do them? And Jesus is going to come back and ask us that. So that's something that I think about when I think about the woman of the issue of blood. She had to believe for the impossible. I need to believe for the impossible. That the biggest issue in my life, I say move. And it moves. So the last person that I want to hit is uh, the man at the pool of Bethesda. And the last point is that faith focuses on Jesus. Something I thought that Pastor John always said that really hit hard with me is one day we will all lock eyes with Jesus. Um, Like that man in Charleston, he almost did, you know, lock eyes with Jesus. But instead he's still alive, thanks to God. One day we will all pass away or be raptured and we will lock eyes with Jesus. And what is going to be our reaction in that moment? And that always stuck with me, like, like, man, I'm going to be seeing Jesus face to face. I'm going to be looking him directly in the eyes. What is my life going to be like? And in John uh, 5, 1 through 15, we read about his story. And the man says, it, basically it's a man who was sick, and he was at this place called the Pool of Bethesda. And he said, like, there's a special pool, and an angel comes and stirs up the water, and whoever gets in first gets healed. And Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do about that? He says, can you put me into the water because nobody else is doing it for me. And don't, like, isn't that just so easy to connect with that everything in my life is going wrong not because it's something I can control because I need somebody to the left. I need somebody to the right. I need somebody around me, you know, whatever, governor, you know, president. I need somebody to do something for me so that I can do, so, so that this thing can happen to me. It's all like, and what does Jesus say? He says, like, your eyes are on the wrong thing. I'm the healer, and you're missing me. And it's easy to miss Jesus when he's right there, because Isaiah 53 says, 53 two says, he has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And I, I think about Abby. One time I said to Abby, like, hey, eventually, you know, we're going to die. We're not going to be married in heaven, uh, but I want your mansion to be next to my mansion. Uh, <laughs> And I was like, we're not going to be married because you're going to be married to Jesus, right? And she's like, what? Ew. And I was like, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, she's going to hit, be hit with lightning, you know, take a few steps back. She's like, don't you know that the Bible says that he's not handsome? <laughs> I'm like, well, she's not wrong. <laughs> because the Bible says that physically there wasn't anything. It's easy to miss by him. It's easy to be looking at everything else around you and miss Jesus who's right there. But when we lock eyes with Jesus, like that's where the changes happen. And that's where, like, like and that's, we miss the power. It says that sometimes we entertain angels unaware. Sometimes there's these big, like, supernatural, spiritual things that are happening. And we miss it because we're focused on everything else around us that's distracting us. Or our own preconceived connotations. When as soon as we lock eyes with Jesus and we connect with what he's doing... That's where like, the faith unlocks something inside of us, where we have the faith to be healed. We have the faith for Jesus to move in the situations that we're dealing with. And I can think of no better story than the story of uh, Eric Kuhlman, is his name, or Pullman, or something like that, uh, of Cafe Pan. And I've shared this story before. This is in Guatemala. And he said, uh, I can't remember if it was the 80s or 90s, but... Um, well, let me back up first. So I went to go get my haircut. Pastor Wendell was driving me around, so he dropped me off at my haircut place and went to McDonald's to meet with the business owner. So, I'm all, so he's all like, I'll be in McDonald's when you're done. Come meet me at McDonald's. So I got my haircut real quick, walk in. They're talking. The guy knows English. I'm all like, cool. So we start talking. I'm all like, what do you do? He says, I have a bakery across the street from Pastor Wendell's church. And so we became friends. And he's like, would you like a tour of the bakery? So I've never baked anything, but I'm all like, Abby's studying baking right now. I'm all like, I would love if me and Abby could show up and do a tour at your little bakery. So the next day uh, we go uh, and we walk in and he's all dressed up. Everything is perfect in his kitchen. Like everything is right where it needs to be. Like everybody's like super clean, organized, doing exactly what they need to do. No mistakes. And I I, I feel like I didn't fit in because I'm just sporadic. I'm all over the place, you know, disorderly. And so when I was in there, I was just kind of like, you know, hanging back in the corner, like letting everybody do their thing. I'm all like, I cannot mess up this beautiful order that he set up. So I look at the name, and it's Cafe Pan, which means coffee and cookie. And so I half sarcastically said, wow, that's an interesting name. 
Because I'm like, come on, dude, like, that, that's the best that you got? Like, coffee and cookie? Like, that's what, like, of all the things you can name your cafe, that's what you name it? Like, like I know, like, two-year-olds with, like, more, like, imagination than you. <laughs> so he says, do you want to hear the, how I, I came up with that name? So it's all like, oh, yeah, I'm sure, like, it took a long time. Like, yeah, let's hear it. And he said, in the 80s and 90s, I was walking around the capital, Guatemala City. He's like, I didn't have any money. He said, and I had an interview across town. He said, so I looked to the person to my left, and I said, can I have one quetzal? That's probably like 20 cents. He's like, I just need money to ride this bus. He said, the guy didn't acknowledge me. He didn't say anything to me. He just stared straight ahead. So he looked to the other side, and he said, look, I have this interview I just need a little bit of money so I can ride this bus with you guys till you get to my interview on time. And the guy said nothing to him, just stared straight ahead. So Eric said, and I wasn't expecting this, he said, so I just stopped there and I looked up. And he said, I apologize to God. And I was like, what is he apologizing for? He said, I apologize to God because I didn't ask him first for help. He said, so I went up and I said, God, I'm sorry that I went to everybody else before looking to you first. I need some money to ride this bus. And he said when he opened up his eyes, he sees this little water cash on the road. So he's all like, ooh. So, so he, he's like, why isn't anybody else noticing it? But they're all waiting for the bus. So you know, they're paying attention to where the bus is coming from. So he's the only one who sees it. So he goes up, he picks it up, and he has four quetzales, which is less than a dollar. So he's like, awesome. So he has one quetzal to, he's like, thank you, God. You answered my prayer. This is amazing. So he's like, I have my one quetzal to go to the interview. He's like, I'm going to use the next quetzal, which is like, you know, their term for the dollar. And I'm going to buy some stuff for the interview. And he's like, I have another quetzal for the bus ride home. So he goes to the interview. He does his thing. And on his way home, he has one quetzal left. And he's like, how am I going to spend it? I'm going to treat myself to something. So he goes into this little um, cafe, and the smell of coffee hits him, and he's all like, he's like, ugh, he's like, I, I would die for a cup of coffee right now. But he looked at how much he had, and he knew that he had to get food, because he, didn't, he hadn't eaten the whole day. So he walks up, and he buys one quetzal worth of bread, or cookies. Um, so she gives it to him, and she's like, do you want anything else? And he's like, this is awkward, because I don't have any more money, but he was like, I'll just continue the small talk. And uh, he's like, well, how, mu- how much is a coffee, even though he was out of cash? And she said, whenever you buy, and she's like, whenever you buy some, some bread, you get the coffee for free. And he said, that was one of the biggest miracles of my life. And sometimes I share that story with people to see their reaction. Because he had nothing. He literally had nothing. And if God didn't come through for him and work in miraculous ways, he was going to live the rest of his life just with nothing. But God like, gave him that as a symbol, as a miracle that day. Like you get a thing of coffee and you get the coffee for free. He walked out with his heart's desires. And he said, I had two miracles that day. It's like I had the money for the bus and all I wanted was a cup of coffee and God gave me the cup of coffee. And he walked out of there and he said one day, I'm going to have my own cafeteria or cafe or whatever. And anybody who comes in, thanks, Dory. Okay, that, that pulled me out of it. Okay, I'm good. Okay. He said, anybody who comes in, anytime they buy anything, they get a free cup of coffee. And so he says to this day, poor people come into his cafeteria all the time. And he says, poor people come in and kids come in who can't afford anything. And he says, I give them, you know, they buy something and I always give them a free cup of coffee. And he says, his friends say to him, that's a terrible business idea. He's like, how are you, you know, you're losing money on the coffee. And he's like, well, other people who can't afford to come in and they pay for their coffee. He's like, it's fine. He's like, but I made a promise to God. That one day I was going to have my own cafe and be able to bless other people like this. Same way that I was blessed. And then he's like, you want to see upstairs? I'm like, so you're telling me you got two businesses. So we go upstairs. 
And he's all like, the American government and the Guatemalan government is paying me to come up with these machines because we're burning so many trees in Guatemala that, the, that uh, we're destroying our agriculture. He's like, so they're paying me to make these machines that run off of propane and butane so that they can uh, dry these different, you know, cardamom is one of the spices that they use. And obviously they grow a lot of coffee and things like that. He's like, I'm being paid by two governments to, to make these machines. And he showed me the kids that he's hiring. So he probably had like six or seven workers underneath. He had three or four engineering students working for him up top in these two different businesses. And I, when, and when I see the, when I walked back and look at the sign, like Cafe Pen, it all started with just somebody who was confused, didn't know where to go, looked around him for help, didn't get the help that he needs, needed. So he looked up to God and said, God, I need your help. And God showed up and completely turned his life around. So when I think about Peter, when I think about Peter being on the water, when I think about Peter walking on the water and how he got nervous when he saw the things around him, like we've got to keep our eyes, that was the last point, locked on Jesus. We keep our eyes focused on Jesus. So we talked about Joseph. Our faith has to have fruit. It has to have something tangible. It has to have something that like shows to God that, uh, that we have faith in him, but then he rewards us back and gives us something tangible, some kind of story, something, something tangible to show that the faith produced something. So we talked about Joshua and Caleb, how faith doesn't fear. When we look at the situations around us, the circumstances around us, if everybody else is complaining, doubting, not sure of what's going on, we don't have that option. We don't have that option to fear because we're Christians. We've got Jesus on the inside of us. We live from the inside out, not the outside in. So we talked about Joshua and Caleb. How, uh, oh, snap. Oh, dang it, I messed up my notes. Oh, my gosh. The woman with the issue of blood, that faith... Uh, you have to believe that faith defies physics. You have to believe in the supernatural aspect of God, that God will change whatever he needs to in this world that he created to bless you because he loves you. And then we talk about the pool of Bethesda, that faith focuses on Jesus. You keep your eyes on Jesus no matter what. So, but this applies to people who are Christians. The book of Proverbs says that people who aren't Christians, who don't have their faith in Jesus, it says that who, who live wicked lives, that the things that the wicked fear come, up, come upon them. But the righteous, it says their desire will be granted. So my first question is, are, are you with Jesus? Is, is Jesus in your boat? Or do you need to call out to him? That's the first question. Because if not, then none of this applies to you. Nothing I said to you today applies unless you got that relationship with Jesus. That is the most important thing. The second thing is... Like, I, I didn't think I had faith, and somebody pointed out to me that I did. That faith that you have, do you need to grow in that faith? Uh, do you need it to be pulled out by somebody? Because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to reach into you today. Say, you have that faith, now let's do something with it. So do, do you need to grow more in that faith? Do you need God to do something in that faith today? So those are essentially the two questions. So um, uh, let me just... Uh, uh, I'm going to hand it off to Pastor David, wherever he is, um, here in a few minutes. Uh, and, uh, like magic. Uh, so let, I just want to really focus on that. So let's all just kind of like close our eyes and just pray. And so, Jesus, I just pray that anybody who doesn't know you, um, it's, life is so much easier with you. While the disciples were rowing their butts off, you know, to go three or four miles through the storms with winds against them, making almost no progress, wasting their whole nights away. Anybody who feels like they're in that situation, that things have just been wasted, time has been wasted, energy has been wasted, nothing has been working right, they've been doing their best and it doesn't amount to anything. It says, but when you walk by Jesus and when you got into the boat, all of that immediately stopped. And they were, it says that they were immediately at where they were trying to get. God, I pray that you'd get into some people's boats today. I pray that um, everything that they've been working hard for, that they've been struggling in, that in the name of Jesus, God, as soon as you fill that space with them, that you supernaturally change everything around them for them to know that you are with them and you're doing something in their lives. God, I, uh, I pray that you would grow our faith. I don't want to waste my, you know, whatever, the Bible says that whatever we have and whatever we use with well, that you give us more of. God, don't let me waste my faith. God, don't let me just have a tiny bit of faith 
that when I get up to heaven, I'm going to meet all these other people, all these other people in the Bible, all these other Christians who did so much with their faith, and I'm just going to be like, eh, I played it cool. I relaxed. I chilled. I didn't do anything with the faith you gave me. Lord, let me and everybody in this room grow in faith in Jesus' name. Let it be a definition of our character, a definition of who we are, so that when people look at us, they're like, this guy believes something. This, this guy has something on the inside of him that's different than the rest of us. And it shows, it shows tangibly that the things that he hopes for, the things that he prays for actually happen. God, give us that faith today in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Jesus, for being the author and the finisher of our faith. I thank you, Jesus, that all we're doing is just getting closer to you and just following in your footsteps. Let us be like Peter to believe in the impossible, to believe that, uh, that you're going to keep us safe, you're going to make us do the impossible, and you're going to lead us closer to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good word. I know that uh, everybody, I'm sure, has one of those points in, in their hearts, but uh, I like the one about faith is greater than physics. That means faith is greater than any circumstance in your life right now, right? Greater than anything that you can touch, taste, feel, or see. Faith is greater. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. How many want to take this faith with you to where you're going? Amen. Walk in it, live in it, and enjoy the benefits of it. Hallelujah. God bless you. Turn around. Bless somebody. You're dismissed. Go praising him as his people.